I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Thurl Bailey here. Welcome to Thurl Talk. Another week with another great guest. Um, that's the nice thing about having your own podcast, right? Because one, you can have on anybody you want to. Uh, hopefully those folks are interesting. I guarantee you that my guest today is very interesting because if you remember anything about that 1983 Jim Valvano coached basketball team, you remember the guy at the end, not the guy who took the last shot, but the guy who, well, maybe, you ask this guy, he's still wondering why he didn't get an assist for the dunk that, that went in at, for Lorenzo Charles at the end of the game. Derek Wittenberg, number 25 in your heart, the guy who helped lead us, 1983 Wolfpack, to a national championship. Witt, great to have you on today, my brother. Well, thank you very much, Daryl. It's, it's exciting to talk a little bit, 83, and uh, always great to uh, talk to one of my teammates. And uh, we achieved something that uh, that is going to stay with us for a lifetime. Absolutely. And then beyond that, Witt, I'm glad I got you on today because, as I said, I, I love having – guests on to talk about their stories. Um, but the other opportunity, too, is that that championship really never gets old. I know you've got a book coming out that talks about you know, your life and, and where you grew up. Um, I've got one coming out, titled still to uh, – the, the title I have working right now is Team of Destiny, but that might change. Uh, we were a lot of things. But I want to I really start right there, right, because I think if – most people, there are millions of people who've watched the documentary, the 30 for 30, uh, in which you spearheaded as one of the producers on it. Um, and we're so grateful for that, for you to just have the wherewithal to say, listen, this needs to be on video. And I know there aren't many people that I know of with that haven't seen that. But um, I want you to, let's, let's go down memory lane a little bit um, about the time that we were recruited, you and I, we came from the same area, didn't live too far from each other in Maryland. Um, but we both committed to NC State because a very good coach, Norm Sloan, recruited us there. He got to my mother. I'm sure he got to your mother too. And uh, we committed to NC State and went through a year with him. But he decided to leave after our freshman year. So, And I've talked about my reaction where were you? What was your state of mind after your freshman season at NC State? And Norm Sloan says, uh, you know, guys, I'm taking off. Where were you at that time? Uh, you know, contemplating just like everybody else. Uh, I think that uh, we believe and we're naive, naive when we're young to think that, okay, this coach has recruited us, Norm Sloan, he loves us, he's going to be our coach, and we had no idea that your coach is going to leave after your freshman year. So you never dreamed or thought about that would be that happened. But 
never let that happen. And I'm thinking that it was rumors about my high school coach, Morgan Booten, uh, who was a great coach, a very successful high school coach that was going to be the next coach. So I had those thoughts in my mind, but had no idea what to do next. One thing I, I do remember is that I never intended to leave NC State. Although we committed to the coach, but we also committed to the school. We also committed to playing in the ACC, and uh, and it was a great environment. So we loved NC State, and I thought, okay, let's wait and see who's going to be the next coach, and then uh, we'll make a decision from there. Well, my, my first reaction to that answer is, what you talking about, Willis? Because I, hey, w- hey, I was getting out of there. I called my mom. I said, Mom, Coach Sloan, he's leaving. I'm, I'm coming home. My mom said, son, you may be going somewhere, but you ain't coming here. So, so she, <laughs> talk, she talked me in the stand. Where, and that's, that's interesting because our state of minds were different. And um, I didn't know for a long time that, you know, that you had never even thought about leaving because we all had our own individual decisions to make. But, uh, hey, I'm glad you didn't leave. So we get through this process, right, where we all decide to give this next guy a shot. Give him a chance, and we're sitting in, and we're sitting somewhere, uh, and we're waiting on him to come in, and that's our first introduction to him. I didn't know much about him. I don't know how much knowledge you had about V before he came in for my owner, but um, talk about that first introduction and what was going through your mind. Uh, were you were you sold right away, or how? What was your attitude? Well, my attitude was a little different. I want to go back a little bit just to add something. You know, my, uh, NC State was my first choice. I watched Raycom Sports Saturday morning ACC. My cousin David Thompson played at NC State and won a national championship. So my decision by going to State was my first choice. This is where I wanted to be. And so going there in my first year, we had a pretty successful year. You know, going twenty and eight and losing in the tournament, we thought we had a chance to go to the uh, to really go to the final four and have a chance to win the national championship. So Norm leaves, and then next thing you know, we, we're sitting contemplating, and in comes this. I thought it's going to be my high school coach, but in comes this <laughs> coach from from Iona, New York. This Italian guy that seems like this guy seems like an entertainer more than he seemed like a coach. Do you remember that, that confident yeah. strut he walked in with? I mean, it was, it, it was almost teetering on arrogant a little bit. He kind of walked in with this, and that, but that was him. He walked in with this kind of strut that was confident, like he, he knew who he was. And uh, Did you get that sense, too? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, more than confidence, in, in my view, this guy has tremendous personality, right? Most coaches were very reserved. Norm Song was reserved. Dean Smith, all the coaches in the league were reserved. But here's this flamboyant Italian guy from New York with all this personality. He was funny. He was witty. And and right away, I felt comfortable with him because he gave me this appearance that this guy is like like a player's coach. So the way I look at him is, wow, this guy is like, He's, he's, he's kind of exciting. He's kind of interesting. He's not the typical coach that you, you've seen or be coached by. So I was kind of excited about, uh, after his conversation at the press conference, I was kind of excited about uh, what was next being coached by Coach B. 
You know, all those things that you described, it's interesting because all those things you described that you liked about them remind me of you. I mean, I, listen, I spent some years with you, and I, and I knew that you were that energetic guy who wasn't afraid to be yourself. You know, there were winters where we were walking together, and I'd see you just go tackle people you didn't even know in the snow. You remember those years? Come on, come on, admit to it. And I said, what, what are you doing? But you were that outgoing guy. You were that guy who had that kind of personality. So I could see how V's personality and yours would match. I could see how you would get excited. I was a little more reserved, right? I was kind of wait and see, you know, how he's going to be. But, but you're right. I mean, uh, he came in with that confidence, and there was something that you were drawn to him. Um, and, and you remember that first talk, as speech as well as I do, when he – confidently said that he was going to win a national championship. Who says that on their first meeting with their players? I mean, how, how confident do you have to be to throw that hook in the water and see what you get? Well, so what we, as we looked at, one thing that we now understand would be when he came in, he had a vision and he had a purpose. And he took his job for that vision and for that purpose. And he wanted to accomplish something. And that gave me an idea that this man knew what he wanted. He talked about it. He believed in it. And he also embraced the history of NC State. He knew NC State had won the championship before, what Norm Soma said before. So it goes to show you that he did his homework. This is what place where he wanted to be. And this was kind of, this was his opportunity. Here he is coaching in the, the best conference in the country. Here's a guy from New York City that, that's coming down south and has an opportunity to win a national championship. He embraced that. That man had some vision, and he talked about it. He believed in it. And in turn, as a leader, he got us to believe in his vision as well. Hey, Whit, we all want to be accepted uh, and at some level. We all want to be liked at some level. V was really none of those things to his peers when he first came to NC State. Dean Smith, Mike Krzyzewski was just coming on the scene. Um, here comes this guy that seems like he knows the ACC. So talk about the fact that you know he wasn't really embraced by a lot of folks around him when he first came. Wasn't embraced, but uh, by my opportunity having a chance to coach with him, uh, and playing for him, I saw a different Valvano. And he wasn't accepted in the beginning because, listen, basically he's an outsider. you got Leslie Rizal at Maryland. you got Dean Smith. Bobby Crimmins was new. You had uh, 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 all the old guard of all the other coaches around. And Krzyzewski was new. You know, so like in Virginia you had Terry, Go- Terry Holland, who was one of the, yeah. one of the traditional coaches. So when he came in, he was like an oddball. And and he was not accepted, not just for the mere fact that uh, his he was different, but because he wasn't like the traditional coach. Right. And I think he understood that. But the way V operated, he had a lot of respect for and appreciation for being a coach in the ACC and NC State. So although he was brass and confident and, and, and cocky sometimes, he had a lot of respect for Dean Smith. He had respect for Lefty Rizal. Right. And I think that's why he had success with him, because 
he did not underestimate anybody. He just thought that he could compete with any coach in the ACC. Well, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because we're going to take a break in just a few minutes. But I want to get into the fact that, listen, the rest is history, as they say. People, millions of people know the outcome of that 83 championship season. Um, I really want to jump into your thought process and your vision of of bringing this journey to the TV, to, to television, right? Um, take me through that process of Derek Wittenberg, the champion, and now you've become this executive producer. And we'll get more into that in the second half of what, what you've been up to lately. But that that production of uh, the 30 for 30 Survive in Advance just told about the journey so well. I mean, and different parts of it. Lorenzo Charles, it started out with with his funeral and, and you taking us there and talking about if we don't start getting together, um, you know, more often, we're going we're gonna to lose people along the way. So what got you into that side of things uh, and has kept you there? Well, first of all, <laughs> it, was, it was the circumstances that really got me into film. You know, I was fired as a coach at Fordham University and three contracts, and uh, I was doing pretty well. And then two years into my third contract, I got fired. And uh, I'm sitting on the couch. You know, I'm working for ESPN. I'm being a commentator. And I saw the film Fab Five. And I saw what Jalen Rose and those guys did. Wonderful film about their story of their the five guys that started at Michigan and them going through and almost winning the championship. And I, I, said, to, I said to a friend of mine, Jonathan Hawk, who's the director of the film, I said, John, uh, I said, I think the 83 story needs to be told. And uh, can you help me do that? And, and lo and behold, it, it, it wasn't easy. It took about, it took about two years for, for uh, ESPN to finally to say yes. Did he know the story I, already? Did Jonathan know it already? No, John, Jonathan had an idea. He knew the story, but he didn't know the story like we knew the story. Right. And uh, he, 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 he was excited about it. Uh, everybody in the in, in ESPN knew the story. A lot of people knew the story. Like I said, millions of people have seen the story. Right. Uh, but the story hadn't really been told. You know, you got to understand, this is 20-some years after the 83 championship, and it's never been told. So uh, the 2000, I think it was the 30th anniversary of our championship was coming up in 2013. So I think the opportunity was there. Right. And that's why it came across. We finally I got to go ahead to do the film. And, and I think it was a film 30 years, me looking back, to telling the journey about my teammates, to tell the journey about uh, Coach Valvano's vision, and to tell people, wow, this, 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 you need to find out the details of how this journey was. And this was an extraordinary journey. This wasn't just about one game. This was about a journey of about 11 games. Right. And all the personality and, and, and all the trials and tribulations that we went through to win that championship, we think it was going to be an outstanding story. And the rest is history, like you said earlier. Well, we are going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and I want to follow. I have a follow-up question about you in, in the production world. 
I know you've got some things in the works right now, um, but I also want to see what you're up to today. And uh, we'll be right back with Derek Wittenberg. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Thorough Talk. I've got my former teammate and champion, Derek Wittenberg, on the show today. And Witt, you just finished talking about uh, that production of the 30 for 30, Survive in Advance. You mentioned something earlier when you started talking about what spurred that on. You've been in the coaching world as well, collegiate, right? You've been, you just talked about you being fired I want to just have a quick conversation with you about the state of college coaching right now. The kids, the approach, uh, the maybe the patience or impatience of that university to stick with a guy to get results. Uh, take me through your first experience as a head coach, right? And, and and maybe touch a little bit on how you prepared for that being an assistant coach, um, and then how you really took that journey as a head coach and what your experiences were. Well, as an assistant and head coach uh, in college, I think I've been involved in college athletics for over 30 years. And uh, when I was assistant coach, I never uh, imagined that uh, that college coaching would be that grueling of a profession. You know, you think about college and you think like, you know, student-athletes and uh, you, you come in here to get a great education. And fortunate for us, Darrell, we, we were very fortunate to win a national championship. So you go to you go to college for three different ways. You want to be a better person. You want to earn a, a college degree. And hopefully you want to win a national championship. And that doesn't always happen to everybody. And I got into coaching thinking that, man, we had a special moment in 83. But now I, I, I want to be a part of that experience for young people, like coming to college, having a great experience, getting your education, and hopefully you can put that banner up. These always some of put a banner up before you leave. And so I, I, I really gravitated to the, that notion that this is special. I love coaching. I love teaching. and got involved. And then it's different. So when we came to school, Thurl, we, we was excited and, 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 and cherish the moment that we get a scholarship, first of all, and then have an opportunity to get a college degree, great education. And then the pros was, was, was an opportunity, right? After you finish, we thought, right. you got to go through four years to finish. Yep. What's different today, you know, I coached one of the first one-and-dones while I was at Georgia Tech, you know, from 94 90, to 99. I coached the number one player in the country, uh, Stephon Marbury, 
he's one of the first one-and-done guys uh, back there in the mid-'90s. And so the attitude and indoctrination of basketball changed. Now all these kids are thinking about, well, we got to go to college to get to the pros. And so our whole uh, mindset now with these kids, the parents and everybody, is that now we want to get to the NBA. The, the education is secondary. Right. You know, being a better person is secondary. But we want to go to college so we can get to the NBA or the NFL. And that's just, unfortunately, that is the mindset right now. You know, big college now is a big business. And, and, and now the kids and the parents are thinking the same way. It's a business. And then when I go to college, one day my son or my daughter will have an opportunity to make a lot of money and play in the pros. And that's just, that's just the difference when, when we was raised. What? And now what's, what's expected of these kids now? Well, what's that mechanism, though? I mean, a lot of people might say that it's, it's AAU because it's, it's structured different than when we were growing up in a sense where it's more – prevalent and you know we know all the scandals with shoe companies and all that that have gone by but what are these kids being told i mean i i what i heard that they're ranking kids now who are like 12 13 years old and and, and so is that part of it i mean what's what is it that's coming oh, out of that household that's different now than we, we when we were growing up well it's 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 social media mm. It's um, it's 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 technology. You can your kids can go in there and put themselves in a mock draft, like you referred to, like being ranked. You know, I remember my godson Travis McKay. He went to Wake Forest. He's a highly recruited kid out of Virginia, and he was talking about, yeah, I'm ranked, uh, I'm ranked number eleven in 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 the USA in my age group. I said, what? How old is he? <laughs> you know, it's. Yeah, he, he he. At the time, he was twelve years old. Now he finished way before he's out. But I remember back then when he was eleven and twelve years old, following his career, he, he was being ranked. Yeah, you know, it's the scouting services, it's the shoe companies, it's their it's their workout people. So handlers, to your point. Yeah, it's a system. It's a system that's been created in sports, which does what. Make money, AAU tournaments. They got people making money. You got you. You have scouting services. They make money. It's all tied in to the to the university uh, to the university system. AAU shoe companies, uh, scouting services, tournaments. It's all in the same business model for everybody to make money. And you have to play that, that game, right? If you're if you're a college coach, whether you're D1 or whatever, you have to play that game. Am I, am I mistaken? Well, it, it, you know, it, it's just where you say game, but it's reality, yeah. right? I mean, you ha- it, it, it's the system. So, like, uh, if, if, you do, if you don't get the exposure by playing AAU, you don't get better. Um, you don't have to play AAU, but that's where the best talent is. That's where the tournament is. That's where the college coaches is. So, you know, you have to be in that you have to be in that system in order to you know progress along to get to college to get to the NBA. So it's a whole system that has been created uh, now that you you basically got to be in it. If you're not in, I don't know nobody who's not in it. I don't know. I don't know no kids that are not playing AAU. Right. I don't know no kids that are not doing shoe. Uh, that's not dealing with shoe companies. 
and agents and what have you. So it's it's just a changed model, and it's a system that you got to you got to deal with now. So when you talk about today's athlete, and I know we've had this discussion before, um, is it us? I mean, we're old school, right? I mean, we, there, there are some things that that pass the test of time, but is it just us needing to get get caught up? Kind of like technology, we got to learn how to use these, and we don't have the brick anymore—the brick phone like we used to use back in the day. We didn't even have cell phones at, at one point. But do is it the fact that if you haven't caught up with what these kids are doing and using, is that you're you're out of the game? You're not, you know, you you only have that perception as as to how to get them to the next level. How important is an education to a kid now? That uh, you know that that may or may not have a chance to get to the next level. Well, I, I want to change one phrase uh, for us, Daryl. They call it old school. I call it real school. And what's real about what we, what our values are, what we talk about, is called. Uh, I'm talking to the ninety-nine percent. Right. The ninety-nine percent of the kids who are not going to the pro. And 99% of the kids that after college, they're not making even playing their own sport. So, but the mentality of all the kids in college, every kid thinks they're going to play professional in basketball and football women, and, and women's basketball. Every kid, though, thinks that they – there was a survey done. They surveyed uh, kids in Division three. 25% of the kids in Division Three, all thought they were going to the pros and going to the NBA. Fifty-six percent of the kids in Division Two thought they were going to the pros. In Division One, there was a survey where eighty-nine percent of the kids in Division One thought they were going to the NBA. Now that's a scary proposition. That's the real school. Not a lot of jobs available. Not a lot of jobs available at that level. Yeah, but, Daryl, here's the deal. You're not going to play that sport for the rest of your life, but you have a chance to be successful whatever you choose to be. So don't compromise your own journey. Don't compromise your education and put all your marbles in one basket because if you don't make the NBA, if you don't make the NFL, then you think your life is over? There's millions of examples of people who are successful in all walks of life. And you can't tie your whole hopes and dreams on one thing. Even when NBA players finish their careers in 20, 30 years, they still have to be successful being a businessman, being a family man. They still have things to accomplish after that. But the 99%, that's what I speak to around the country. That's what I speak to in these companies. I'm talking about the people who in regular life are lawyers, doctors, educators. There's a lot of people, CEOs and presidents that are successful everywhere. Being in entertainment and athletics is not the only profession that you can have success in. So that's what I preach. I call it the real school, the real world conversation with those who are not going to have that opportunity to play in the pros. 
So with you and I, we do a lot of the same things now. We're using our platform to speak to these youth groups in corporate America uh, about success and and our perspective of it. But with those youngsters, you know, in their mind, they might not say it to you, but it's like, listen, Mr. Wittenberg, I ain't trying to hear that, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, this, this is what I want. You know, everybody tells me to focus on that goal. Uh, listen, there might be millions of others, but I'm I'm up there. I mean, I'm uh, I'm putting in the work every single day. How do you how do you basically rectify the fact that you know there might only be one person in there that you might get to? How do you uh, whether well, it's corporate or, or corporate well, America or youth? Yeah, well, I, I think here, here's here's the way I approach that conversation. I said, I'm not trying to steal your dream away from you. I want you to go for it. I said, I want you to take a chance in running that business. I want you to, uh, you know, be the best player you can be. Be be the best of whatever you want. I'm not taking that dream away from you. But I also want you in college. I want you to get your education and continue to learn and be educated. Because when it stops, when you can't do it anymore, that doesn't mean you can't be successful in life in your own journey. So I'm saying go for it. I'm not taking that away from you. Dream big. Go for it. If you play in the NBA, 20 years, great. Play in there, two years, great. But just be prepared if you don't. That I don't want you to be psychologically, I want you to prepare yourself that you have special talent, that you can be successful in whatever you choose to do. And everybody can't be an uh, NBA player. Everybody can't be an entertainer. There's a whole lot of unsuccessful people doing a whole lot of other things that's important in life. And so in our, where we are now, Daryl, is that the reason why we go out and speak is because we speak with purpose now. Because the purpose is that we have to empower somebody else to believe in themselves and to believe in their own journey. Yep. And and you people need that. They need that pep talk. They need that leadership because just because you in a a position of leadership, that don't know that don't mean you know how to lead. And that's what I talk to coaches about a lot. We learn and in sports, we learn a lot of transferable skills that we can put to test to anything that we we set our minds to. And so that's what I try to have that conversation with them. I try to teach them to, listen, yes, I want you to go for it, but look at yourself in all the talents that you have. And going forward, you can do whatever that you, you, you dream about doing. Just be prepared to take the next step. Very, very powerful words from Derek Wittenberg. And, Witt, uh, you know, you you're like me. You're wearing a lot of hats right now. Um, everything you do has a purpose to it. Since 2015, you've been NC State's associate AD. Um, but you've got some other things going on with the Jimmy V Foundation, with your own foundation. Talk about what you're doing now and uh, what you're looking forward to. Well, it, it's it's. I, I tell you what, I can't be more happier about my journey and my purpose and what's going on now. When I came back to uh, 
NC State in 2013. Uh, I, I just, this is where I wanted to be. Uh, this was not a job for me being an ambassador and associate AD. This is, this, you know, this is a calling. And uh, I, I just love the things that I'm involved in now because it entails helping people. Uh, and, and it's nothing more rewarding. You know, I say to myself, if you want to lift yourself up, lift someone else up today. And I love the work that we're doing at NC State with uh, what I'm doing with the, uh, the former student-athletes and getting them back to school and mentoring our coaches and, and, and some of our former players. I love what we're doing at the V Foundation. We, we've raised a tremendous amount of money, but we, more importantly, at the V Foundation, we've raised awareness, and 100% of every dollar goes directly to cancer research. And when, when Jim passed away in 93, Nobody's even talking about cancer research and the awareness of cancer. And look where the V Foundation is today. And then my wife and I, we started the Derek Wittenberg Foundation that, uh, that advocates for juniors and seniors to help them finish college. And everybody advocates for kids getting into college, but it's a lot of kids that can't finish college. Right. So out of 11,000 organizations we have in North Carolina, it's 1,700 organizations and foundations in the triangle area. We are the only ones that advocate to help kids finish college. And I think it's important because we still have a lot of first-generation graduates, and we we have a lot of bright people that just need a little edge and a little help. Listen, Phil, we cannot be successful without the help of others and without the support of others. So I just want to support some of these kids. I want to support our student-athletes. I want to support our students. And so the work I'm doing is like when I get up every day, I'm excited to help people. And so that's my my purpose and my journey going forward for the rest of my life. Well, how can people find you, Whit? They can find me at DerekWittenberg.com. They can find me at uh, VDWFoundation.org. They can find me on those two... Uh, platforms, my, my foundation, and DerekWittenberg.com gives you a whole platform of my speaking and the things that I'm involved in. So uh, please contact me if I can help. I'd uh, be happy to get involved in uh, uh, anything dealing with kids and education and philanthropy. I, I, I want to get involved and help. You know, one thing about community, Farrell, and, and people don't understand this, is that if you want to get involved, you have to be. You got to be present, and you got to be involved. That's and right. if everybody helps everybody's organization a little bit, we all will grow in a special way. I love it, Wet. And I, hey, I appreciate you being on the show today. And and you know, I know you've been looking to get that assist for Lorenzo's dunk. It's not going to happen, my friend. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh Darryl, yeah there let me tell you i just uh people don't know uh a, a lot about you and your journey but that quiet confidence uh that quiet leadership because i think we had three different leaders on our team we had sydney that was a quarterback and he showed his leadership he had me as a crazy man that's the vocal guy that getting this but you had that spiritual leadership that we needed as well, that calmness and that poise 
that we needed as well. So our leadership was was a three pronged attack, and your your leadership was just as valuable as any part of our leadership on our team. Well, and I appreciate that. Is that you scored a lot of points and you blocked a lot of shots, but besides that, people also respected your leadership and your poise and what you added to that team. So we love you, brother. We love what you did for us. I love what you're doing now. And I know your son is going to the, try the pros, and, uh, and and he's a talented kid. I wish he would have came to NC State. <laughs> but uh, I, I wish him all the luck in the world, and uh, and I wish you all the luck and, and all the great work that you're doing. And uh, let's keep on doing what you're doing, brother. I appreciate that, Wade. Brendan would be really grateful to hear that. And I just want to let our listeners know that, uh, again, uh, Derek right now is working on a book himself. Well, he'll go into uh, Tweety Bird is what he was known that. You'll learn a lot more (laughs) coming from him and his book and just keep up with him. And uh, I've got a forthcoming book as well that will talk about some backstories of that journey. So, Whit, thanks for joining us, and we will talk soon, man, and stay on that golf course as long as you can, my brother. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care, Whit. Thank you for joining us for Thorough Talk this week. Make sure you take care of each other, and we'll talk to you next week. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.